Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network. For other great shows, visit engineered.network today. Pragmatic Today is brought to you by ManyTrix, makers of helpful apps for the Mac. Visit manytricks.com slash engineered for more information about their amazingly useful apps. We'll talk about them more during the show. I'm your host, John Chigi, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Carmen Parisi. How's it going, Carmen? Pretty good, John. How about you? Uh, very good, thank you. Very good. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm ready to talk tech and uh, authoritatively sip my AeroPress coffee. Oh, really? Nice. Yes. yes. Well, I actually had a cold brew coffee, um, but I heated it up first, which is, may sound confusing to some people, but that's just, <laughs> sometimes that's what I do in a hurry. It's, it's actually quieter that way, if that makes sense. Because it's nighttime yeah. and everyone's just gone to sleep here, so you know, concerned yeah, about waking up. I understand. Up the kids. <laughs> I, I, so I pre-ground my beans last night, so I didn't wake up the wife. Ah, oh, nice. See, that's it. There you go. It makes perfect sense then. Cool. So, um, just to one of the things that I was hoping we could uh, talk about today is, I suppose, in recent times and the last uh, twelve months, Apple has been moving to, away from. Uh, vibra- well, they're, they're changing their vibration technology that they use for discrete uh, message indication. And they're moving away from vibrating um, like rotational motors and they're moving to uh, linear motors. And they're calling it uh, their taptic engine. And that was in air quotes for those that don't picture that taptic engine, um, which is just a form of haptic feedback. And I guess... Maybe that's where we should start. How about you? Would you like to lead in and, and explain to listeners the differences just quickly? Sure, sure. So we'll we'll back it up first. Uh, so there's the difference between just plain old vibrations and haptic feedback. Um, vibrations are more old school, and they're generally just used to get the user's attention. Um, they're very cheap to implement, and they're good for you know simple on-off applications or for safety applications when you just want to say, hey, something's going on. Um, you have a message, you have a, you know, email, whatever, um, you know, this alarm's going off. <laughs> uh, haptic is more complex than a simple vibration, and it's more costly to implement because of that. And it's used in things like touchscreens and video game controllers, stuff like that, where you want more than just um, an on-off. And uh, one example would be like a car reversing, if you have a backup camera and maybe some feedback in the steering wheel. A vibration would, you know, just vibrate when you're a certain distance from an object, 50 inches, three feet, whatever. Um, A haptic feedback would vibrate the steering wheel at a different strength and different frequency to give you a more detailed uh, view of how far you are away from things instead of just, boom, you're too close. Yeah, cool. Very good. All right. So with respect to the whole vibration thing, um, because I guess vibration... Okay, we're electrical engineers, so are we, we are. I can still have an opinion about vibration because I know it's a mechanical phenomenon, but still, I don't care. Um, it's. I mean, it's essentially it's an oscillation centered around a, a given point, and and random vibrations they're not generally an issue, or they're not generally. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I guess it's more the periodic, repeated oscillations around a common point when they amplify and resonate. 
And sometimes you want that, like a tuning fork, but other yes. times you don't want it. And the funny thing is actually, if, if you, um, in my line of work specifically, vibration's generally your enemy, you know, because vibration leads to fatigue, stress, and to failure of components. You know, so vibration sensors, like, for example, some of the gas turbines that I work on, uh, gas compressors, uh, water pumps, wastewater and wastewater pumps, you know, vibration is bad. And eventually, if it's left unchecked, it'll, that in the imbalance that causes a vibration uh, will destroy the equipment if it's left unchecked. So I guess for me, the funny thing is talking about vibration is that vibration is generally destructive in my line of work. But when we're talking <laughs> about electronics, vibration in this case, it being used for, for messaging is um is obviously well we, we hope not destructive yeah. um i suppose if you left it vibrating like constantly all the time you probably would cause fatigue stress in some of the solder joints or solder joints depending upon you know which hemisphere but still yeah, de depending on how good your qa department was yeah yeah well i suppose so but i mean i guess mm, i wonder fine anyway never mind that that that's a rat hole now, now you got me doing a thought experiment and uh our listeners who may not know um you uh, ceramic caps can vibrate uh, due to what's called electrostriction, which is the inverse of the piezoelectric effect. Um, electrical forces cause mechanical motion instead of mechanical causing electrical motion. And I was wondering if you could get the vibrating engine to vibrate at the same frequency as the caps and just have some kind of crazy feedback loop. Hmm. That'd be kind of hmm. cool. Yeah. Thought experiment. It would That's wreak havoc, hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, but. <laughs> Okay. Because it gets into the audible range and you can hear your phone vibrate. So, yeah, well, that's true. I, I guess it's possible to couple in, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the audible thing later, too, because I've got to admit that's one of the things that I can't stand about vibrating motors, but that's okay. So, all right. Uh, if you want to know more about things like, like for the differences between free and forced vibration, damping, and so on, then feel free to read up as a Wikipedia link, knock yourself out. It's very mechanical, and that's probably why I'm just going to let it go there. Uh, but yeah, feel free to learn more. Very interesting. But you know, hmm. so anyway, all right. So a little brief history. Uh, when pages came out, pages, pages, as in, you know, the silly things that uh, back in the 80s, I think it was, they were all the rage. And yeah, I think drug dealers and uh, doctors <laughs> use them. <laughs> drug dealers? With the drug dealers? Yes. Okay. That Let's just focus <laughs> on the doctors, the legitimate professions. There we go. So they were the only ones that were that could afford one because they were also always on call, right? So you'd have this thing, you clip it on your belt, and it was about the size of a, a, a deck of playing cards, I suppose, you know. And it was a heavy, you know, plastic thing. And anyway, so the vibrator would just simply, you know, go off and let them know that there was a there was a message for them. Obviously, things have you know changed; they've reduced in size and power and so on. But they were supposedly discreet. But like you said, they were all, you know a lot of these vibrating modes are quite audible. I did talk about some of this stuff briefly on uh, episode 38, Watch This Time and Space, which is, there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to it. But when the Apple Watch came out, though, it was different because they're not using the traditional uh, rotational uh, off-center um, mass vibration units that they have in the past. Uh, those particular ones are called uh, ERMs, uh, which is eccentric uh, rotational mass. So instead, Apple decided they're going to go with a linear actuator uh, which is a linear resonant actuator, or LRA for short. So the thing is, all of Apple's previous devices, all the iPhones prior to that, all used ERMs. The first device to use a an LRA was the Apple Watch, and that's why I found that to be interesting. 
At the time, I asked uh, John Gruber on Twitter because he had a, a test unit and hardly anyone else had one. I asked him if it was audible or not, and he actually he actually went into a cupboard, closed the door, and <laughs> was able to confirm for me. He tweeted back at me and said, "Nope, you can't hear it. It was just you know it was silent." And I like I like the silence, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just I I can't stand the noise. So it was for me that was one of the key decisions why I got it myself an Apple Watch in the end. But what's happened since that moment is that Apple have now released a whole bunch of products that incorporate this thing they're calling the Taptic Engine. And they call it Taptic, I guess, because it feels like a tapping sensation, which is something that you can't really emulate with an eccentric rotational mass. And it's because I suppose the vibration profile is different. So like very different. What they've done with the Taptic Engine is they've given it two names. Apple have given it two names. One of them is... um, it's coupled with their touch technology, and it's a bit, it's a bit interesting. They're, they're two different things. You've got force touch and you've got 3D touch, and the haptic engine is involved in the feedback for both of those. So it's sort of like the feedback component of those. And the thing to keep in mind, though, is that the actual haptic engines that are behind them that are actually totally different between them, and the overlap isn't, isn't the same. Maybe I'm not making sense. So, okay. On the Apple Watch and on the iPhone 6S, 6S Plus, they use a linear moving mass in their LRA. Whereas on the Magic Trackpad 2 and the MacBooks and the MacBook Pros, they all use uh, a, a series of four independent weights and they are all individually actuated within underneath the trackpad. So it's actually it's actually different. So they'll call it's like it's like the naming of the technology that they're using. They're using force touch on one, 3D touch on the other, but one of the 3D touches which is on the iPhone is actually using the same actuator as in the Apple Watch which they call force touch. It's confusing. <laughs> it's just marketing. I get it. I know that, but you know so I don't want to talk about the 3D touch or the or the force touch or anything like that. That's just marketing. I just want to talk about the actual linear actuators and the differences between them. So let's forget that the actual units they use is not align with the branding. Okay, so the linear actuators balance between two springs. So if we can imagine that there's what they call a moving mass, and this moving mass is just a hunk of steel, nothing special. Not really. yeah, I think I read that they were like neodi- neodymium magnets. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, well... Uh, are we sure about that? Because I, I, I had a look. It was um, now. There's actually a, a precision micro drives. I think. Yeah, there's that's a, what I was looking too. Yeah, and and precision micro drives do manufacture these LRAs and a bunch of other ones as well, some ERMs, and you know, and they talk about those magnets. But I don't. I could not find a definitive equivalence with the one that Apple's using. What seems pretty clear to me is that the design of the one that Apple is using, uh, is it's either Apple designed or it's, uh, it's not a publicly available product. It appears to be something that's been made for them. So it's, yeah, it's not something that you can look up the specs for. It's not like a, you know, it's not like a, a standard chip. It's more like an ASIC kind of thing, I guess. But anyway. Okay, well, so... Apple is special. Well, yes, yes, they are. But I guess the point is that it's not something you can just buy off the shelf. You can't just dial up these guys and say, hey, give me one of these these Taptic things. It's something that, that they are manufacturing specifically for Apple. 
and that makes it difficult to get specs on. So what we know, we know based on teardowns, what we know, we know based on uh, x-rays that people have taken, disassembly, and some not all the information is available. So we'll, we'll get some of the detail in a minute. But anyway, all right. So your Apple Watch is displayed in front of you in pieces just for this podcast? That's dedication. <laughs> no. I did actually briefly consider. It was brief. It was I don't know if it was in the seconds range of brief, but it was a brief moment where I'm like, you know what? To heck with this. I'm going to start pulling my, my, my watch apart to get the dimensions and the masses that I'm looking for. And then I'm like, no, I'm not. So, <laughs> You're never getting no. that back together. Uh, no, that would be an example of the barometer that I took apart when I was a kid that also did not go back together. Anyway, <laughs> it's all good. So yeah. Um, okay. Right. I'm just need to get back on topic now. Then that is okay. So, uh, da, 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 da. <sighs> mobile, I want to, I, I guess I want to call the two different taptic engines just to differentiate them. The mobile taptic and the desktop taptic, taptic, oh, haptic, taptic, taptic, gosh. Sorry, it's a tongue twister. <laughs> All right. So the mobile taptic and the desktop taptic. Almost did it again. Now, there's a link in it's the show tongue notes. tongue twister episode. Oh, yeah. Tell, you, tell me about it. Step 12 of the iPhone 6S teardown by iFixit has an actual X-ray video, which is so cool, of the actual taptic actuator in action. And you can see this thing when they send the pulse to it and you can see it vibrating back and forth. So the moving mass moves from left to right. It's held in ca- in place between two springs, and there is an electromagnet uh, coil working against a, a magnet of some description, and ne- nebda, you just said it before, molub, probably Neodymium. a molub. Thank you. Yes, that one. <sighs> this, is what, this is why you're on the show, man. <laughs> you can pronounce all the stuff I can't pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did say you liked that on my resume. I did, yes, I, yes, good. It came with um, can pronounce really big words. Lovely. So anyway, um, that magnet thing. Uh, so anyway, and the idea is that uh, you pulse that once or twice and it will then react against the magnet. And of course, you can then reverse the polarity of that and it will then stop it. And that's the whole point is that you have very precise control uh, based on the damping of the str- springs as well would determine how long it will oscillate for naturally before you stop it. Anyway, so the key element for me is the actual mass, the actual mass of that moving mass. And that to me is what's interesting. So I'm going to focus and explore on that uh, the most during this episode because I find that fascinating. But anyway, so the x-ray video, it only goes for maybe 10 seconds or so, shows about two or three pulses. Very, very cool. Highly recommend checking that out. Uh, Now, the desktop Taptic Engine uh, they have a disassembly of the MacBook Pro 13-inch. So steps 11 through 14, uh, again, link in the show notes, love iFixit, uh, shows what that looks like. And you can see it's completely different. So as I say, four separate coils, four separate uh, moving masses contained therein. So it's very, very different. They work, well, they're working, sorry, they're working against a common bar, if that makes sense. It's hard to describe it in words, but it's a very different actuator. Okay, and I suspect the four different actuators, they're pulsed in groups uh, based on the amount of haptic feedback the action requires. So let's say, because on the MacBook Pro, when you when you push down just gently for a single tap, you'll get a very light response and that mimics the physical switch that you would ordinarily be pushing from the older trackpads. And a force press will give you a much heavier response and that probably uses multiple actuators. So I suspect that it's actually... Uh, pulsing one, two, three, or four of them on or off based on the intensity 
of the tap sensation that it's trying to replicate. So, and the, and you can actually feel it very carefully. If you put your finger, uh, let, let's say you've got, um, so you've got two hands, presuming most people would have two hands, put one finger, one index finger on the left-hand side, one on the right-hand side, but only press down with the one on the right. And then on the left, you can feel the sensation much clearer. When you're, when you're pressing down on something, it changes you know, the response and the nerve endings in your finger. So you want to have one that you're just using just for feeling. Anyway, so you can feel through the other finger the, the tap profile, the vibration profile as you're pressing down on the trackpad. So it's very clear when you do that. You can feel the different stages and intensities of the haptic feedback through, that, uh, through the keypad, through the trackpad, I should say. So anyway... Uh, one of the other things that's also interesting is if you take your what, the, the your sensing finger, if you'd like, off of the actual trackpad surface and onto the body of the MacBook Pro or MacBook, whatever you've got, um, with the Force Touch trackpad, it's much less pronounced on the main body of the MacBook Pro, like significantly fainter. And there's a good reason for that. We'll talk about it later. Okay, so... Before we go into all of the details and the numbers and the figures that I'm just, for whatever reason I find interesting, is I just want to say again, okay, try as I might, I just, I could not find the exact piece of information I was looking for, right? I could not get all of the dimensions. I could not get all of the masses because when they pull these things apart, they meaning I fix it and tear down sites and so on. For whatever reason, they didn't get out the micrometer and tell me exactly how thick the battery was, exactly how thick the Taptic engine was. They didn't pull apart and say, oh, the spring weighs this much and the moving mass weighs this much. So unfortunately, and with the lack of manufacturing details, we have to make a few assumptions. I think they're fair assumptions and I think they make the point, but let's just see where that takes us. Um, okay, so the Apple Watch, let's start with the Apple Watch. Um, I meant to ask Carmen. Um, now, um, you don't. Ha- I know you don't have a Mac. You don't have a MacBook uh, Pro or a MacBook uh, laptop, correct? Correct. I have my nice new Windows desktop. Very good. No problemo. Um, I can't remember if you have an iPhone. Uh, a five S. Okay, got a five S. Okay, so five yeah. S still has the original um, eccentric. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if we should just call it that. Man, that's got the eccentric feedback. Oh, I'm an eccentric man. That's why I picked there you, it. There you go. See, that fits perfectly. Anyway, all right, good. So um, then the next one is, uh, do you have an Apple Watch? No, I do not. Okay. Okay, so that's okay, folks. Just just lean on the fact that I have uh, an Apple Watch, a 6S Plus, and a MacBook Pro. So, yeah, okay. You are, you are the authority. <laughs> I guess, I guess, well, only between you and I in this, in this conversation, I guess, but um, plenty of other people I'm sure may have these. But anyway, all right. So I have a 42 millimeter um, sport Apple Watch. So we'll start with the Apple Watch. Now, the Apple Watch was introduced on the 24th of April uh, this year. That's 2015, in case you're listening to this in the distant future. The sport model, the 38 millimeter model, uh, weighs about um, 0.88 ounces, which is 25 grams. The 42 millimeter one, which is what I have, is 1.05 ounces, which is 30 grams. That's the that's the body of the watch. That doesn't include the band because all the bands have a different mass. The stainless steel model is a fair bit heavier. It's 1.4 ounces for the 38 mil, that's 40 grams, or 1.76 ounces for the 42 millimeter, that's 50 grams. I just want to talk about the sport at this point. So 
there's a teardown and I fix it. <laughs> like there's teardowns and I fix it because I love them. Anyway, there's a link in the show notes and it shows the Taptic engine and uh, on step 14. So the thing to keep in mind is there's an x-ray comparison. Uh, again, link in the show notes showing the 38mm and the 42mm. Each watch has a physically different size Taptic unit. And I think there's a good reason for that. As I said, searched far and wide. Could not find anyone that had dimensioned the moving mass. So we're going to estimate it by a few facts. First of all, we get the relative size because we know the size from uh, the x-ray photos relative to the rest of the body size of the actual units, which we do know. Those that We do know those numbers. The Taptic engine is encapsulated in a case. That case is the same depth as the battery depth. The battery depth based on the scale images is about five millimeters deep on the 38 and the 42 millimeter. So if we assume that the shell of the Taptic consumes about two millimeters of usable height, that's given the thickness of the shell itself as well as the air gap clearance around the moving mass to let it move freely, then let's say that the moving mass has got about a three millimeter depth. Now, I think that's a perfectly reasonable number because if you look at the 6S and the 6S Plus, then those I do have measurements for that are precise, and we'll talk about them later, then three millimeters is in that ballpark. So I think it's a reasonable uh, estimate, guesstimate to run with. So approximate outside dimensions of the 38 millimeter moving mass is a 10.3 by 11.3 by three millimeters. Again, the three millimeters is assumed. Now, inside the moving mass is actually a cutout. It's like a, a rectangular cutout and, you know, for reasons. And its dimensions are 6.1 by 6.3 by 3 millimeters. That gives us a total volume of metal that the moving mass is about 76 cubic millimeters. Now, on the 42 millimeter model, um, its moving mass is 13.6 by 11.2 by 3, and its inside dimensions are 6.8 by 7.1 by 3. And that gives these a total volume of, of metal of 106 cubic millimeters. Next assumption, the density of steel. <laughs> and I know that the density of steel is going to be relative to what alloy it is. Okay, so, okay, obviously. And I don't know what alloy it is, so I didn't pull it apart, and I didn't put it in a, um, oh, dear, what do they call those things again? Uh, mass mass spectrometer? Yeah, or gas chromatography. No, that's for gases. No, not, not uh, gas chromatography. I'm, 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 you know, the... I just wanted to say more big words. Oh, well, you did. Okay, that's, yeah, fine. You win. But anyway, no, I did not <laughs> figure out what kind of metal it is. <laughs> I'm going to assume it's just ordinary steel, okay, because it's cheap and simple. I doubt it's stainless. It might be. Who knows? So let's just run with it. An average, that's about 7.6 grams per cubic centimeter. So we're going to convert all this out and figure out that the 38 millimeters moving mass is about 0.6 of a gram. That's about 2.3% of the overall mass of the watch body itself. The 42 millimeter weighs in at about 0.8 grams. That's about 2.7% of the total weight of the watch body. It's interesting. You can move something so relatively light and actually feel it on your wrist. Yeah, well, you see, this is the whole thing is that this is what I find fascinating, right? Is that what, what you would do if you were designing this is you've got two things you're trading against. You're saying, I need to have the most uh, distinct um, sensation of tapping that is not too faint, but not too strong, 
because if you make it too big and heavy, that's going to consume more energy in order to actuate it. If you make it too big and heavy, it also adds to the mass and the, the weight of the watch itself. And obviously, it also takes up more physical space. So you're, you have to minimize it as much as you can because you want to make it light as possible, but you still want to be able to feel that tapping sensation. And I would say that the figure that they probably settled on was around about 2.5%. The moving mass had to be about 2.5% or thereabouts of the, of the mass of the overall body of that watch in order to make it a consistent sensation. Because if they didn't care, if they just wanted to have a common, you know, like the keyboard, the keys in the keyboard, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, who cares? All the keys are exactly the same. So the letter Q is always the letter Q, no matter where it is, always the same. So it doesn't matter. If the Taptic engine was like the letter Q on a keyboard, well, it would just be the same size, same dimensions for every single product, but it isn't. And I suspect the reason why is because they wanted to have a consistent tap sensation across all of the different uh, watches. What I would love to know, and I don't have the information for, is I'd love to know the actual mass exactly. And I'd also love to know the, the mass of, the, of those in the gold and in the, um, in the stainless steel models. Because if my theory is correct, then I would suspect the Taptic engine would be slightly heavier, whether that's thicker, wider, longer, whatever. I suspect it would be be probably slightly thicker. So the the dimensions of the actual uh, Taptic unit case would have to be the same between the different models, but the moving mass inside would probably be different. The yeah, cutout wouldn't size surprise would... me either if they did that. Yeah, because otherwise, you know, anyway. So anyway, that's the watch. So let's talk about the iPhone 6S and uh, 6S Plus. But actually, you know what? Before we do, let's just quickly talk about our sponsor for this episode and that's many tricks so many tricks they are a great software development company and their apps do like the name suggests many tricks their apps include butler chemo leech desktop cur- t- curtain uh, time sync usher moom name mangler resolutionator and which now there's so much to talk about for each of those apps we're just going to touch on some of the highlights for five of them which you should think about which as a supercharger for your command tab app switcher if you've got three or four documents open at once in any given app, then all you need to do is which is use which because which is beautiful, simple pop-up just lets you easily pick which one of those witches within that app that you're looking for. Pulls it straight to the front, away you go. Name Mangler. Let's say you've got a whole bunch of files in, on your hard drive or solid-state drive these days. You need to rename them quickly, efficiently, and there's a lot of them. Well, Name Mangler is great for creating staged renaming sequences with powerful pattern matching shows you the result before you actually hit the go button. And if you mess it all up, just go back to when you when you started and have another go. Now, Moom makes it really easy to move your windows to any corner of the screen you want, halves, corners, edges, fractions of the screen even, whatever you like. You can save and recall your favorite window arrangements with a special auto-arrange feature as well when you connect or disconnect an external display. It's awesome. I use it every day. Usher can access any video stored in iTunes, Aperture, iPhoto, or in any connected hard drives on your Mac, allowing you to easily group, sort, tag, organize them all in one place. You can install some plugins, and then there's no need to convert anything into an iTunes format to watch it. So if you've got a video collection scattered across all those programs, drives, and formats, then Usher can help you bring it together and sort it out. Their latest app is called Resolutionator, and I love that name, Resolutionator. And it's gloriously simple. A drop-down menu from the menu bar, and you can change the resolution of that display to whatever you like. 
as long as it's connected to your Mac, of course. But anyway, the best part is you can even set the resolution to fit more pixels onto the screen than are actually there in the monitor, and it's still readable. Now, it's so handy when you're stuck on a train and you've just got the laptop screen, but you need a little bit more re-screen real estate. You just open Resolutionator, and there you go. Now, that's just five of their great apps. There's another five still to check out that I haven't even talked about. All these apps have free trials. And you can download them from ManyTricks, all one word, dot com slash engineered and try them out before you buy them. They're available from their respective pages on that site or through the Mac App Store. However, if you visit that URL, you can take advantage of a special discount off their very helpful apps exclusively for engineered network listeners. Simply use engineered25, that's engineered the word and 25 the numbers in the discount code box in the shopping cart and you'll receive 25% off just like that. And that offer is only available to engineered network listeners for a limited time. So please take advantage of it while you can. Once again, many thanks to Many Tricks for sponsoring the Engineered Network and Pragmatic. Okay, iPhone 6S and 6 Plus. They were released in September 2015. That's like uh, about a month or two ago now. And obviously, as I said before, it wasn't branded as Force Touch, it was branded as 3D Touch. Yes, totally different. Anyway. Uh, but I'm not interested in any of that. I'm only interested in the haptic technology. So let's talk about that now. I have far more precise dimensions and, ma- and uh, for these, which is interesting. So the Taptic engine in that particular case was 35 by 6 by 3.2. And the Taptic, oh, that was a success. And the 6S Plus is 15 by 8 by 4.9. And that's the part that's interesting. Because if you look at that, 672 cubic millimeters for the 6S and 588 cubic millimeters for the 6S Plus. But here's the problem. I don't have accurate figures for the moving mass. Those dimensions are the external dimensions of the Taptic unit. (sighs) This is when I felt like pulling my phone apart because I really, really wanted to know And I have done everything I can think of and I simply cannot come up with a decent set of approximations because I don't have enough photos of it pulled apart. All I have is an x-ray. So unfortunately, I can't apply the same logic to the 6S or the 6S Plus. However, what I can say from personal experience is that the 6S Plus that I have is really, it actually is audible. Like, I can hear it, not just feel it, unlike the Apple Watch. I wish I had more information on the 6S and 6S Plus. Unfortunately, I just don't. Um, If someone out there can get me those dimensions, I'd love to run the numbers. But you know what? Unfortunately, unless I go and have a complete fit of insanity, I'm not going to strip my own, you know, iPhone 6S Plus. Although the thought occurred to me of scouring eBay and looking for someone who destroyed theirs and then maybe get one and pull it apart, but it's probably too soon for that. I think most people are, you know, the supply hasn't been so constrained for the 6S, 6S Plus um, as it was for the 6s and the 6 Plus last year. So, you know, but I, even so, I, I can't imagine there'd be too many broken ones for sale at this point. Yeah. Broken Apple Watches, does, maybe. Does iFixit sell the Taptic parts to replace it in your iPhone? Because then you could just buy what you need. Yeah, I know. And I looked and I couldn't see them. So, yeah. Well, you yeah. just have to buy a new phone and expense it to uh, Engineered FM. <laughs> engineered network <laughs> yeah i was gonna say yeah uh no no not doing yeah. that 
Yeah, we're rolling in that sweet podcasting money. Why not? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly what we're doing. Anyway, all right, good, <laughs> lovely. Um, one, uh, uh, there were a couple of little notes I did make though about the Success and Success Plus is that they are actually heavier. Both the 6S and the Success Plus are heavier than the six and the six plus. So they're heavier than last year's model. And part of the reason is the Taptic engine, right? It absolutely is. Uh, unfortunately, there's also more mass, about an extra uh, 15 grams more uh, in the mass of the screens. And another interesting factoid for you is that the 6S Plus, they sacrificed a little bit of the battery in order to fit the Taptic engine in there because these things take up a lot more space than an ERM. And um, it's interesting that they made that trade-off. So clearly, Apple has decided that that's a trade-off worth making. So these things, they're bigger, they're heavier, and they are, although... Okay, so you know what? Over to you. How about you to go through some of the reasons why you think uh, it would be better? Like, just let's just compare and contrast the differences between the ERM and the LRA. Why on earth would you consider going to an LRA over an ERM? Why would you do that? Do you think? Uh, well, it's much less power hungry than uh, than an ERM. Sure. And, uh, the reason for that, it, and we could spend a whole whole episode talking about resonance and series and parallel resonance, but um, if you model an ERM electrically as an RLC circuit, it's a series resonance circuit, and an LRA when you model it electrically electrically is a parallel resonance circuit. Um, so the R, the L, and the C are all in parallel instead of just in series. And uh, the simple high-level view just for this podcast, um, in a series resonance circuit, the current going into the motor is maximum at the resonant frequency. And in the parallel resonant frequency of the LRA, uh, when you're at resonance, the current is at a minimum. So you're using less power to drive it than the ERM. Yeah, and that, obviously that's a big deal because you're trying to conserve your, you know, your energy. So... If you do cut off a little bit of your battery size, you're actually winning as a net win overall because you know you're using less energy in the end every time you use the vibrating motor. Yes, correct. Seems like a good trade-off to me. The other thing that's interesting also um, is the different uh, haptic profile that you can generate with an LRA. So, um, for example, you can um, when you've got rotational energy, you've really only got on or off, and the speed at which you rotate. But the problem is that the amount of energy required to, to get up to a speed at which the vibration reaches the ma- the actual level that you're looking for, the peak-to-peak um, vibration that you're looking for, uh, you don't really have a heck of a lot of actual variability in there and control. It's it's almost like you're either off or you're on. And the best you can do is have that that silly pulsing thing that the, the vibrating ones do, you know, where they go like... You know, that kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to the LRA, where you can actually accelerate at different rates. You can have, because you've got more precise control, you can actually have shorter pulses that are closer together. So you can actually get like a tap, 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 tap much closer together, like a machine gun going off, I guess. Um, but anyway, and that intensity is is variable. Hence, on the watch, you can actually have... Um, prominent feedback and even if it's not prominent feedback you can actually have different levels so you can have a, a there's like a, an off completely obviously that's nothing um, there's a middle like a medium and a high and then there's prominent which is so i guess it's three different levels of, of haptic feedback anyway okay so that's pretty cool um 
honestly, I don't have much else to add about the the reasons behind this and, and, and the math behind it. I think it's fascinating. I think it's an interesting trade-off. And for me, it's been absolutely transformative for me because what I've done is I've just turned everything off, all my audio, and I, I rely solely on the Apple Watch tapping me with a Taptic engine on a faintest possible tap uh, for all of my notifications across the board. I've got a silent ringtone. I've just set everything to sound off, tap, 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 that's it. And I love it because whenever you get the, Do you get the phantom taps on your wrist like you sometimes do with your leg when uh, you think your phone's vibrating, but it's not? Not yet, not yet, but I suspect that it, it's a it's a synaptic path that's going to start, you know, going in my brain, and eventually that, that <laughs> that's probably inevitable. But for the moment, at least, I'm I'm enjoying the fact that that's not an issue. So, yeah, maybe someday that will happen, Carmen. But let's hope it doesn't for a while because I'm enjoying it. Uh, <laughs> and what I enjoy though is that I don't have that noise. I don't have the buzzing or anything like that. You know, my my success plus, I've actually turned off all of the vibration on it. I don't like the Taptic engine on it because it makes noise. I can hear it. If it's sitting on my desk, I can hear it. I don't want that. I've got the Apple Watch for that. So I've turned it off. And some people may think that's crazy, but you know what? I don't need the Taptic feedback on my phone going off because I can't adjust the Taptic intensity on the on the, on the the 6S Plus uh, based on my, my finger pressing. I can adjust the 3D touch pressure, but I can't adjust the feedback. So... It's one pressure sensing, pressure response, sorry. It's one tap response level for all of it. There's, there's three levels on the watch and there's only there's none. It's either on or off on the phone. So I turn it off. And it's great because what it means is that I don't hear a thing. I just feel it through my wrist and someone else's phone can be going off in the other part of the building. Because in the last 10 years, every, every phone ringtone you could imagine, pretty much even the prank ones, I've had on my phone. So I'm, I, there's a part of your brain that's like, oh, is that my phone ringing over there? Oh, no, it's not. And now I know it's that's, not my that's phone. That's Joe's phone. <laughs> yeah, well, I know it's not my phone anymore because I know that if it, it, my phone's silent. I actually did. There's an article. I should put a link in the show notes about um, uh, silent journey. I posted on Tech Distortion a few months ago. And it's all about how I use the Apple Watch if you're interested. But anyway. Okay, so I just want to quickly wrap up. I haven't got too much more else to add. Uh, I just want to talk briefly about the Force Touch trackpad and the Magic Trackpad 2, which only just came out a few weeks ago. So both of these use a different design. The actual uh, trackpad itself is sitting on four little, uh, I suppose you'd call them uh, metal uh, spring flaps of a sort. Now they've got strain gauges on them, which is you know really not that exciting or revolutionary or interesting, but they also perform a, a partial suspension so that the actual trackpad surface itself is partially suspended above uh, the Taptic unit. And what that means is that the Taptic unit inside underneath the trackpad is working against, more working against the mass of the trackpad glass and construction than it is the entire body of the MacBook, which makes perfect sense because why do you want to be trying to vibrate against the entire mass of a MacBook Pro that's going to be sitting on a desk anyway? If you've got an iPhone, you're holding it in your hand. If you've got a watch, it's on your wrist. So you have to work against that. You have to work against the mass of the body that you're holding and that you're contained within. But when you're actually on something as big and as heavy, I mean, these MacBooks, I mean, the, the MacBook Air, the Magic, okay, so the MacBook, uh, the original MacBook it came out on was the 12-inch uh, MacBook. That was released in March uh, this year. And uh, it was on the MacBook Pro 13-inch on the same date. But 
the actual MacBook itself weighs uh, 0.92 kilos. So that's 920 grams. That's pretty heavy. And you would need an, a, a proportionally enormous uh, Taptic engine to move the whole thing. You don't need to move the whole thing. You just need to move the trackpad. And that's what they're doing. So uh, that's why the Taptic um, engines in the, the touchpads are not in proportionally enormous. Because if you look at the difference in size between the Taptic engine in the watch versus the Success, they're proportional in size, whereas the Mac, on the desktop, they're not. And the Magic Trackpad 2 is no slouch. That thing's heavy. That's like 231 grams. That's 8.2 ounces. You know, so again, it's, it's, it's a hefty bit of kit. Yeah. It's funny when you think about it. The Magic Trackpad 2 is actually, um, it's heavier than an iPhone 6S. Despite the fact, if you think about it, it has a heck of a lot less in it. Anyway, that's all right. You don't have to put it in your pocket. Mind you, can you fit a 6S Plus in your pocket anyway? Yeah, it's cargo shorts, those... man. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Yeah. Anyway, Height of fashion right. right there. Yeah, some people love them. I don't get it, but that's okay. I'm not a fashion guy. I'm kind of the opposite of the spectrum. But anyway. I don't wear cargo shorts too often, but I wouldn't exactly say I'm fashionable. Oh, there you go then. Hey. Anyway, all right. So um, honestly... Uh, yeah, that's it really. Uh, I find it, those are the reasons why I think that uh, the Taptic technology is, is is an excellent step forward. I think the, the reasons that Apple chose to do it, uh, you know, to save energy, I think that the trade-offs that they made are good trade-offs. Even though they're making their products slightly heavier, it's a better experience overall. Gives them a, a far better control for more unique form of feedback. And I honestly think that those are all wins. But what's interesting though is why so many other companies haven't done this. And if you think about it, uh, the ERM technology has been around so long. It's cheap. It's been miniaturized. And for most people, it's good enough. But once you've used the Taptic stuff using the, the linear actuators, it's pretty hard to go back because the extra sensitivity and the extra control that you get and the, the, the sensation you get out of it, I can totally see why Apple's done it. And it's pretty clear to me that their tactic moving forward is to use this everywhere and that eventually ERMs will be gone and banished from all of Apple's equipment moving forward. So I, I would not be surprised to then see Taptic feedback in all the iPads as well and every model of MacBook and MacBook Pro. And, you know, they've just added to the trackpad too, which I, you know, when I started working on these notes a while ago, that was before they'd released it, but that was obviously next on their list and now they've done that. So I think it's pretty pretty clear that what where the where the future lies for Apple anyway. So anyway, there you go. What do you think? All right, let's stick a fork in it. We're done. All right. <laughs> you you stick you stick forks in things regularly. I mean, other than to eat things. I'm just saying. But anyway, yeah, just yeah. You I, do I got it. a pocket fork. You know, just in case. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> got to be prepared for anything. <laughs> Okay, fantastic. There you have it, everybody. Right, good. If you'd like to know more about this and, you know, portable forks that you take with you, you could reach me on Twitter at John Chigi, but about the forks, you'd want to reach Carmen. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah, don't spoil follow- episode 67. Come on. What? Oh, shit. Yeah, where we talk about forks. No. Yeah. Pocket, pocket camping tools. <laughs> okay. Eating or you can on follow- the go. <clears throat> yes, and you could follow Pragmatic Show on Twitter specifically to see show announcements and other related stuff. Remember that Pragmatic is now part of the Engineered Network and it also has an account, engineered underscore net. 
It has show announcements about the network specifically and all of its shows. You can check it out at engineered.network. Now, of course, Carmen, if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, at uh, FakeyEquips, or on uh, the Engineered Network webpage. Send us some feedback for the show. My picture is the one with the Sawzall, I hope. <laughs> I I didn't follow through on my threat to change your... <sighs> but I oh, know I'm sorry. All That's right. all right. It's my Twitter picture now, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. Oh, dear. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, so obviously, yes, and as Carmen alluded to, if you'd like to send any feedback about the show or the network, then please use the feedback form on the engineer.network website, and that's where you'll also find show notes for this episode. I'd personally like to thank Many Tricks once again for sponsor- sponsoring the Engineered Network. If you're looking for some Mac software that can do many tricks, remember, specifically visit this URL, manytricks, all one word, dot com slash engineered, for more information about their amazingly useful apps. And uh, finally, one last note, it, the network does have a Patreon account. If you like what we're doing here at the Engineered Network and you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, uh, it's very much appreciated and it helps to not only keep the existing shows going, but to help us bring new shows to you. And there's a few in the works right now. So exciting stuff coming. Um, there are a few perks in there as well. So check it out. It all helps. So um, thank you, everyone, for listening, as always. And uh, thank you again, Carmen. All right. Thanks, John. And yeah, thanks again for listening, everyone. Thank you.